Sage Obadiah. Some stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. We praise God, the true and living God, for allowing us to participate in this ministry. May he be with uh, you and us tonight. We have Josh right here, six years old. He says hi. And we have uh, Sage right here, six years old. He says hi. And they are twins, and they're from Orem, Utah. Is that right? Yes, they're, they're men of many words. Is there anything you'd like to say to the audience? Nothing at all. And so we excuse them. Thank you for being on the show, boys. Okay, jump down. All right, perfect. Okay, uh, please get a a pen and paper out. We're going to go through some announcements right now and uh, see how it goes. I'm going to move quick because this is our first of the month show because I missed them last week. And uh, we'll go from there. We hold church deconstructed every Sunday. Go to www.campus.com with hyphens in between those letters to get more information like times and location. AM820, uh, The Truth replays Heart of the Matter uh, every Sunday from 1 to 2. AM820 is a great radio station, so check it out. We are going to be holding our annual winter open water baptisms coming up this Saturday, March 10th. Saturday, March 10th, annual winter open water baptisms at the following locations. You ready? 9 a.m. at the Alpine Church in Logan. 12 noon at the Alpine Church in Riverdale. 3 p.m. at the Adventure Church in Salt Lake City. And 6 p.m. in Provo Baptist Church in Provo. Uh, we'll be announcing this in the weeks to come so that you, if you missed it now, you can get it uh, And just to let you know, if you want to be uh, baptized in water, show up at any of these locations, bring a change of clothes and a towel, and a desire to claim Jesus as Lord of your life publicly. Uh, Anybody uh, who's a believer uh, that comes can baptize you. It doesn't have to be by me, uh, but we we do this every year. We've done it for years and uh, years, actually. And uh, it always proves to be a wonderful event for anybody who uh, wants to be baptized uh, by water uh, to 
uh, show the Lord of their uh, inward heart and faith in Him. All right, that's Saturday, March 10th. It's uh, time to update our Aletheia Ambassadors checklist. Let's take a look. grateful for uh, the Lathia ambassadors everywhere. I know you're used uh, not as much as you'd like to be in the nation yet, but uh, hang with us. We think uh, times are changing. Uh, we are planning and scheduling a nationwide tour to take place this coming summer of 2012. Uh, here is a list of the parts of the nation uh, and the days that we will be there. Uh, take note and if inclined, get in touch with the uh, churches in your area the Christian radio, Christian television networks, let them know that we're coming out to help equip the saints for the uh, coming onslaught of the Latter-day Saints in the decade of the Mormon. So if we have those uh, things queued up, let's show them. Hi, I'm Sean McCraney. I'm sitting in the middle of a television studio in Salt Lake City, Utah, what we call the Mecca of Mormonism. For the past six years, I've been blessed to host a weekly live call-in television program where we compare and contrast Mormonism with biblical Christianity. Uh, our ministry is to reach out to the LDS with the good news of Jesus Christ, relationship over religion, and it's also to reach other people who are seeking to know the Lord. We also are an equipping ministry, and we seek to help other Christians understand how to relate and speak to and address 
confidently the issues that stand between Mormonism and biblical Christianity. We're living in an age where Mormonism is front and center uh, on the national and world uh, stage. Uh, Bible-believing Christians around the world are more and more embracing Mormonism, uh, which is an aggressive, proselytizing faith, and, uh, and they're saying they're Christian. Are they? Uh, in response to this, uh, our ministry is produce, has produced a book called Where Mormonism Meets Biblical Christianity Face-to-Face. -face. Uh, it's a 650-page uh, volume that uh, speaks to these issues and we think is a clear and concise way. Beginning in uh, March of 2012, this book will be available in all major Christian bookstores around the nation. Uh, beginning in June of this year, and this is the part we, we hope you'll listen, we will be touring uh, the nation uh, every week in an effort to further equip uh, Christian ministries, Christian churches, uh, uh, Christian uh, television networks, Christian radio program listeners with the tools necessary to understand the difference, biblical differences between Mormonism and Christianity. So let's show you the dates of where we're going to be. Please take note of these. Uh, first, we're going to be in this area, the Greater East Coast, Monday, June 4th through Saturday, June 16th. And you can see the states and the areas and where we'll be. The next place we'll be will be uh, Southeast, Monday, June 8th. 18th through uh, Saturday, June 30th. We'll, then we'll be in Greater Illinois area, uh, Monday, July 2nd through Saturday, July 14th. And then in the Greater Texas area, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, July. And then we'll be on the Greater West Coast. And we're going to be uh, working through there the end of July, July 30th through September 1st for a full month. In, uh, in the West Coast area and those states that you see listed there on your screen. If you're with a Christian television network, a Christian radio program or know of one, uh, a Christian church, a Christian group, please take note of those dates uh, where we'll be in your area. And if you'd like to hear a clear uh, understandable, biblically-based comparison of Mormonism and Christianity, let us know. Uh, we don't charge for this. We don't want love offerings held on our behalf. We want to if, inform and equip the nation with the truth and with facts. Having been LDS uh, for 40 years of my life and a Christian pastor for the past seven, we will do the topic justice. So what can you do? Get a pen and paper, write down this information, our email address, our phone number, and our website, and uh, contact us. Say, listen, we understand you're going to be in Florida. When can we schedule a time? When can we schedule a date? Go to your pastor. Go to the network that you know that uh, broadcasts in your area and say, we have a, we have a qualified uh, uh, ministry that will fairly and uh, justly but uh, truthfully compare and contrast Mormonism in uh, whatever time slot that you have for us. We thank you for, the, for you uh, prayerfully considering this, and maybe we'll see you in the summer of 2012. Okay, just as uh, for your information, Heart of the Matter is going to continue to be uh, shown live uh, throughout the summer of 2012, and we're going to have guest hosts, a new guest host each week. And so that should be exciting to see who pops up and, uh, and uh, to see how they handle the phone lines and the topics that they're going to present to you. Uh, but I will be back, God willing, every Sunday to do campus. So hopefully that's cleared up. Okay, 
We're gathering testimonies from people for our new television program, which airs right here on TV 20, Friday nights, 8 p.m. Uh, we call it the X-Files. Um, if you were once LDS and are now a born-again Christian, please consider being interviewed on this important uh, and timely program. Just go to www.xmormonfiles.tv and tell Bishop Earl who you are. He will get in touch with you from there. We have about 20 interviews uh, in the cans already, and they have been phenomenal. They get better and better and better each week, so we praise God for that. Finally, Aletheia Ministries offers a number of products to help you uh, in your growth and understanding of all things related to the growing and schizophrenic Mormon Christian debate. So uh, the three books we offer are I Was a Born Again Mormon, uh, If Then, and Where Mormonism Beats, Meets Biblical Christianity Face-to-Face. -face. We also offer an outstanding video tape called A Mormon President. So uh, go to www.hotm.tv to check it all out. Got an email last week that truly reveals what is at the heart of uh, many Mormons. And at the same time, this, this one got under my skin. What did it say? Speaking of our ministry, the LDS man wrote, quote, if people are going to leave Mormonism, then it's admirable that they can still have Jesus. They'll be in the terrestrial kingdom and they'll be happier than they can manage. So that's great. Salvation without doing works. That's how, that's how he describes Christians who will be in the middle uh, kingdom, not the celestial kingdom, the high one where the Mormons will be. And he says, they're going to be there. They have Jesus. And he, he, he describes it as salvation without doing works. What a total crock. What, what an imbecile. Uh, Non-biblical, mythical thinking. I have yet to meet, like Paul said, he does more works than he can believe since coming to know the Lord. Uh, the, the Christians I know do works ad nauseum for the Lord. And, uh, you know, it's not just showing up for them like it is for many LDS. And so in terms of works, uh, you guys got to get off your high horse. It's really starting to get redundant in this. Um, but the guy goes on and he says, but if they leave the church and forfeit the reward in the celestial kingdom because of deceit and misconceptions or because you are exploiting the foibles of members, then that's immoral and abominable. Um, he is essentially saying then, if someone wants to leave Mormonism uh, and just follow Jesus, which they usually don't, they leave Mormonism and follow nothing. But if they do, that's okay. But if they leave because you have deceived them, Sean McCraney, then that's immoral. He says, you withhold truth, my friend. So you are guilty of allowing faulty judgments, which is deception. To seek followers through deceptions is walking a thin line and playing with fire. You won't last long in that state. So be warned, my friend. The, the near future will see your regret for your deceptions unless you change your ways. I say this because I fear for your children and other innocents close to you. I pray for them because I believe you are putting them in danger because what ultimately happens to you could affect them. By you ignoring the call to repent, you are putting your career or ministry request ahead of your loved ones. Um, don't take this lightly. I know of people who are fighting against the LDS church who later regret it dearly. And he signed his name. This is the, herein lies the difference between true Christianity and groups and religions like Mormonism. Mormons use fear. And if someone disagrees with their mythical religion, they use fear and veiled uh, threats to try to get them. Uh, but if a Christian who is a Baptist has a problem with being a Baptist, 
The Christian can go on and be a Presbyterian. And the Baptists aren't, well, maybe not the Baptists, just kidding. The Baptists aren't going to say, oh, they're going to hell. And a Presbyterian isn't going to say someone who becomes a Methodist, oh, they're going to hell. And someone who goes to Calvary Chapel, who leaves and goes to Alpine Church, Calvary Chapel doesn't say, oh, you're going to hell. But these guys do. And that's one of the big differences between being a Mormon and leaving this faith or whatever you want, this church, and being a Christian. There is, God doesn't use fear in this. Yes, he uses fear when it comes to hell itself. But if you want to leave a church or a, a faith made by men or run by men, it's okay. You can move on to something else. And that's one of the big differences. I hope we can see that. How about a moment? Let's now turn to the Word. Dang it. This is quick. Quick. I just had a wardrobe malfunction. So just one second. Okay. Last week we covered a familiar verse in John 3.16. Tonight I want to back up a few verses to John 3.14 and read all the way through John 3.18. Do some preaching, so to speak. Stepping back to John 3.14, we read, Jesus says to Nicodemus himself, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That whosoever believeth in him, Jesus says, should not perish, but have eternal life. What a beautiful, comforting passage. The LDS Articles of Faith says, however, we believe that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, all mankind may be saved by belief. No, the Mormons say by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the Mormon gospel. Okay? Jesus says himself, whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have eternal life. And, uh, but the Mormons say uh, salvation comes through obedience to laws and ordinances found in the Mormon gospel. Jesus reiterates the point in verse 16, which we come to as we commented last week when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He reiterates this point again. And Jesus says, whosoever believeth in him, in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But I, I have in my collection of Mormon propaganda, an LDS tract called The Purpose of Life, printed in 1983, which has the subtitle in the tract, You May Earn Salvation Through Christ. You May Earn Salvation Through Christ. Do you believe Mormonism and their pamphlets and their propaganda and Joseph's teachings and the articles of faith or Jesus? Verse 17, for God sent his son uh, into the world to not, excuse me, I'm sorry, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through him might be saved. The LDS have this strange sort of, again, schizophrenic understanding on salvation or what being saved means. On the one hand, they say salvation is a free gift. And what it means is resurrection is the free gift. And that's what being saved means. This is one way that missionaries and doctrines will define salvation in the Mormon church. Uh, and it's passed on to all men. 
when a person uh, is once resurrected, where they go, however, is dependent upon their works. So that's one way they define salvation. Then they have the article of faith that reads, we believe that all mankind may be saved uh, uh, by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. So in this sense, they equate salvation to obedience to laws and ordinances of the Mormon church. Then they have their Book of Mormon teach uh, that being saved says, we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all that we can do, after all we can do. So in the Mormon church, they have three definitions that float around in terms of what salvation is and being, what being saved is. One says being saved is the free gift of being resurrected. The second one says, you can be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. And the third one says, we are saved by grace after all that you can do. Uh, but listen to what Jesus himself, remember, Jesus himself said in his dialogue with Nicodemus. Notice how often he uses the word believe or believeth here in verse 18. Jesus finishes his dialogue saying, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Salvation by grace through faith on him, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the great I am, no other way or means. Uh, with that, let's have a prayer. Father God, I need you, uh, we need you to be in our lives, Lord, and we pray for those who are seeking for truth, no matter what the cost, Lord, uh, seeking for truth. So we pray you will open eyes and ears and hearts tonight for those who are channel surfing or those who just happen to fall upon uh, what we're talking about, whether here in our audience or out there in TV land, streaming video or in the archives, Lord, reach those who are seeking for truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we harvested the Book of Mormonian. We pulled that sucker out of the ground, and we noticed the first thing about it was its verbosity and uh, a tremendous problem with grammar. That's the first thing we notice about the Book of Mormonian. What else do we notice about this book? Anachronisms. Does that mean spider problems? No. Anachronism is something that is out of place relative to chronology something that doesn't fit in the order of things. If I were to say to you, the first car ever built was a Ferrari Testarossa, which was then followed by the Ford Model T, you would say there is a problem with the order and the chronology of what you are saying, Sean. That would be an anachronistic problem. The Model T came first, and from that, finally down decades and decades and decades and decades later came the Ferrari Testarossa, a higher version of the automobile. So good old Joseph, not understanding, not having the ability to understand chronology and timing uh, and the nuance of languages, uh, included a boatload of anachronisms in his divinely inspired Book of Mormonian. For example, he included quotations from the King James Version of the Bible that was available to him at that time. When the King James Bible was produced, the translators used uh, some language characteristics fitted to the time of the 17th century, okay? And this includes grammatical errors in the text of the early King James Version, which have since been 
correct, found and corrected and included in the current King's James, King James editions. But Joseph, in his Book of Mormon, included the King James Version translation errors that were in his version of the Bible, uh, uh, which was, uh, and, and the Book of Mormon was supposed to have been written a thousand years before the King James Version ever came out. Another example, uh, for instance, of an anachronism is Joseph uses the word synagogue in the Book of Mormonian. Uh, actual synagogues did not exist uh, when the Book of Mormon was supposedly written. See, the, the word synagogue in Scripture and in the writings of like Josephus, who's recording history, synagogue doesn't kind of pop up until after the Babylonian ca captivity. And so what they do is suddenly the synagogue kind of comes up as a result of that Babylonian captivity. And they start to see that word used. But prior to that, it was never used. Well, here we have synagogue being used. Babylonian captivity, synagogue being used. But Joseph Smith, Book of Mormon people left Palestine well before that. And they came over to the Americas, supposedly, and are writing on these plates. And they're writing about the word synagogue, which was not available to them to even know about because the word didn't even exist for them at that time. You see, that's an anachronism. In other words, Joseph used a term in his false ancient text, not knowing that the word didn't exist at the time the Book of Mormon writings were supposed to have taken place. Then there's the anachronistic use of certain elements and objects out of total ignorance by Joseph Smith. For example, he not only gave a, a made his pre-Columbian inhabitants of the Americas use domesticated objects like cattle, horses, sheep, barley, and wheat, he made no mention of the types of products that such inhabitants did use here in the American continent uh, at that time. So he, he, he failed to show in his Book of Mormon what the products and objects that were really available at that time to the inhabitants of this land. And instead, he used the products that were available to him there in the 18, uh, 1800s, 1825s through 1830s that were available to him. Why? Because no one could prove it differently at that time. He could say whatever he wanted and no one could prove it differently. Because Joseph, not privy to the facts, was able to pull from his own imagination that guys were riding around on horses and eating barley. And uh, <laughs> stuff didn't exist at the time of his Book of Mormon placing. So um, now the Book of Mormon, through science and through study, is proven daily more and more ridiculous and false. Interestingly and ironically, those who follow, follow Joseph Smith today, are, they possess the same mindset that he did. Facts are irrelevant. They're irrelevant to the beauty and the merit that exists in the feelings behind a myth. They care more of the feelings behind the myth than the fact that the, it's a myth. So they don't care. Joseph Smith didn't care either. Then there's the Greek proper nouns assigned uh, to Joseph's fictional characters in the Book of Mormon. Remember, according to Joseph, a family, Lehi's family, left Palestine by boat 600 years B.C. around the time of uh, Jeremiah. Well, somewhere between 100 and 200 years later, Okay. Lehi and his family have left Palestine. They've come to the Americas. They've broken up into two great nations, Nephite and Lamanite. They're riding on plates. This whole thing's supposed to be going on here. 
over back in Palestine, 100, 200 years later, not in Palestine, but in the old country, we have a, 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 a civilization developing. They're called the Greeks. And their influence on, on the Jews was profound. But there was no way Lehi and his family would know what the Greeks were doing because they weren't around 600 years when they, when they supposedly came over here by boat. You get that? However, in the Book of Mormon, we have Greek names used as though somehow Lehi had the internet and was able to see the Greek culture way over here and, 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 and tap into their names and then include them in his Book of Mormon. For instance, the word church, the, the, the word Christ is used 600 years before Christ is born. Jesus Christ is used in the Book of Mormon, the name Jesus Christ, and Christ is a Greek term. That's Christos in the Greek. So it is so anachronistically full of baloney that anybody who wants to seek the truth would see what is wrong with this. I mean, it would, it would be like me saying, hey, I unearthed an ancient manuscript in my backyard. And, you know, let me read this to you. And, and I translated it. And not only that, uh, I only showed the, the, the ancient manuscript to my family and close friend, friends, and then an alien ship hauled it away. But anyway, here's my translation of this ancient manuscript. So you start reading and you come across some interesting things. And then you read the name Harrison Ford in this ancient manuscript. You say, well, that's kind of interesting. Well, there could have been a Harrison Ford around at that time. And then you read Mickey Mouse. And then you read, you know, uh, Luke Skywalker and Taylor Swift and Haas Cartwright and George Clooney. And then you start saying, you know, maybe Sean's lying about this book. Maybe it's not from 500 BC. Maybe it's something of his own imagination. But the Mormons don't say that. They don't care about it. They come up with ways to just explain away the possibility of somehow God telling these people to name uh, their sons Timothy, which was a Greek name, or to use Christ, or many of the apostles were named with Greek names. So the interesting thing about that is, though, Joseph Smith in the Times and Seasons, Volume 4, Number 13, May 15, 1843, said, there was no Greek or Latin upon the plates, end quote. That's from the man who supposedly translated them. No Greek, no Latin. There couldn't have been. It didn't exist when the plates were written upon. But in any case, he says that. So you can't say, well, maybe Timothy somehow made it in by inspiration of the writers of the plates. Didn't happen. Now, over the course of six or seven years, Joseph worked out his outline, and he knew probably that he was going to be making some mistakes, and he was smart. And so he had to think, how am I going to head off future problems at the pass? Uh, and so he has Mormon, uh, he has, excuse me, Moroni, one of his Book of Mormon characters, actually write into the text, quote, Thou hast also made our words powerful and great even that we cannot write them. He's talking about God making their words powerful and great. Wherefore, when we write, we beheld our weakness and stumble because of lack, because of the placing of our words. Moroni continues to write, and I fear lest the Gentiles shall mock at our words. And when I said this, the Lord spake unto me, fools mock, but they shall mourn. What is that? That's the threat. That's the threat that Joseph built Mormonism upon. I got it in the email from the guy earlier. It's in the Book of Mormon. Threat in God's name. Smith also has Moroni say, and if there be faults in the Book of Mormon, they be the faults of man, but behold, we know no fault. Nevertheless, God knoweth all things. Therefore, he that condemneth 
let him be aware lest he shall fall in danger of hellfire. In other words, don't call out the problems in this book or you will suffer threats just like the emailer. You know, this type of language, speaking boldly in the name of God, was popularized by Joseph Smith. The Lord said, sell your land and give me your money. You know, the Lord says, do this, the Lord. He had no problem speaking for the Lord. Brigham Young, no problem speaking for the Lord. And Latter-day Saints today think it an insignificant matter to speak in God's name of the things they testify for. I find it highly disturbing that so many LDS members and missionaries will, in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, testify of things. They don't teach the doctrine or teachings of Christ in context. They add in all kinds of garbage like polygamy, blacks not being able to hold a phony priesthood, blood atonement orders, and here's the worst of it. They in seal it all up by saying, I say these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's some serious stuff. I recently had a phone conversation with an LDS attorney who has left the church named Greg, and he brought this to my attention. He said, in effect, have you ever noticed that the LDS people get up on fast and testimony meeting and they testify, I know the church is true. I know Joseph Smith restored the gospel. I know Joseph Smith is a true prophet. I know the priesthood is real. And they say it in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Did you ever think about that? Do they ever get up, uh, this attorney brought out, do they ever get up and say, Jesus Christ is God and King, God incarnate who suffered for my sins and saved me a, a sinner by grace through faith in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Never. They get up and they testify in his name of everything Mormon, everything Mormon, and then they'll wrap it up with this little, and I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I can't, I can't help but worry how serious this must be uh, in God's eyes to testify of these false things in his son's name. Uh, did the former LDS um, general authority, Paul Dunn, when he got up and told lie after lie after documented lie from the pulpit, always ended his talks, and I say these things humbly, in the name, like Richard Nixon, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You don't have dick to kick around him. I mean, he did. He would use the Lord's name to seal that. And everybody's sitting there listening to his lies. And then he seals it in Jesus' name. That is, Joseph was doing it. Brigham was doing it. He does it with his Book of Mormon too. So we're going to open up the phone lines a little bit earlier tonight. 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. While our operators are clearing your calls, I'm going to hit a few emails. Let me see who we've got. Let's take a call first. We've got an LDS caller, Ron from Idaho Falls. Ron, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? Hey, I'm, I know you're in the Mecca Mormonism, so I must be calling from the Medina Mormonism here in Idaho Falls. There you go. Must be. Hey, I got a, I got a, I got a quick uh, question. I need your advice. Um, I got some Mormon missionaries I've been meeting with, and... Uh, I was kind of showing them in, in, uh, that, that they teach, that uh, their doctrine teaches that uh, non-Mormons, basically, according to 1 Nephi 14.10, says that, you know, basically, we're the church of the devil, if you're not an LDS member. And I quote that scripture to them to show them that, you know, they accuse me of attacking them all the time when I have questions about Joseph Smith and doctrine, and I take them to their own scriptures to show them that, you know, Joseph Smith laid down the gauntlet first, and your own uh, Book of Mormon says that there's only two churches, say the Church of the Lamb 
or the church, the devil. Yeah. And when I do that, it, they, they get very confrontational. And they don't want to talk to me anymore, and I'm not sure if, if that's if, how to uh, combat that. You know, I, I don't know if it's how to combat anything, but it's an excellent seed planner, and it's an excellent point of truth to show those, those young men who are so full of themselves how they just go out and love everybody. I think that's great that you point that out using their own Book of Mormon, and it's a true uh, thing that Ron's pointing out. The Book of Mormon teaches there's only two churches on the face of this earth, uh, the Church of the Devil and the True Church, which is the Mormon Church. There are only two. That's from their own Book of Mormon. They call here our show all the time, Ron, and say, oh, you keep picking on us. We do nothing but love, but love, but love. But their missionaries are sharing that same message. We are the only true church. You have to belong to us in order to live with Heavenly Father. And, and it's in their temple rites, or it used to be. So you bring up a really good point. So the fact that they get angry at that, I bet you're probably planting some seeds with those missionaries. Well, real quick before you let me go, um, I have a Book of Mormon student manual of religion, uh -huh. and it's, it's their own manual on, on a commentary of the Book of Mormon, and I got that through a, a, a source not to be named, but anyway, in by <laughs> 14.10, there's a commentary. Just give me a second. Here's what Bruce R. McCartney says about the church, the devil. This is a commentary in 1 Nephi 14.10. It says this. It says that the church, the devil, is the world. It, it's all its carnality and evil to which fallen man is heir. It is every unholy and wicked practice. It is every false religion. And here's the part that, that I kind of put them on. Every supposed system of salvation, which does not actually save and exalt man to the highest heaven in the celestial world. It is every church except the true church. You heard it. He read it from right. you from their own church manual, you guys. We don't make this stuff up. So get off your high horse about how you don't pick on anybody. You, like he said, Joseph Smith drew first blood. But that's not why we attack it. We attack it because it's a lie. The church is not made of, of brick and mortar. The church is made of believers in a spiritual household. And so really good points, uh, Ron. Appreciate your call. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Bye-bye. You know, this stuff, this stuff is, is uh, starting, to, it's starting to culminate. I don't know where the Lord's leading it. I don't know how it's happening. But, you know, we're seeing these articles more and more about, you know, you, we've all heard about the church losing membership. We all heard about how the Internet has truly affected uh, uh, people. There was an article on February 2nd. It says, in a world of ever-increasing Internet use, some Mormons are stumbling upon facts or claims about their beliefs and leave them feeling blindsided. Daniel Peterson, BYU professor, says this in the article. It's in bold. The problem is not so much that there are no answers to historical questions. Yes, there is, Daniel. There are no answers. So don't, don't give us your baloney here. The problem is not so much there are no answers to historical questions, but the people discover this or that historical fact they've never heard of before. I got news for you, Daniel. The problem's both. They haven't heard of the problem before, and there's no answer to the problem either. And so you're, you guys are facing uh, losing everything that you've built. I pray to the Lord God in heaven that he will destroy the, the facade of this religion and all these people who have a heart for God, like Romans 10 says, and they just don't, they go about seeking to establish their own righteousness, not understanding the righteousness of God. I pray that their eyes will be open and that you uh, uh, liars, you, you come and you repent. And you say, let's teach the truth to these people and let's show them what our history is and let's tell them we don't have answers for the fact of this problem and this problem and this problem and this problem and on and on ad nauseum. So it's really getting interesting. You know what it's like? 
and they're fighting more and more and they're trying to use all kinds of internet tactics to win this war. If you go fishing in Alaska, they catch halibut, uh, which they call barn doors, these huge halibut. And you know, as soon as you hook one, they're, they're bottom feeders, they put up this enormous fight, like a 300 pound halibut, fight, fight, fight. And, and so we're at the point where we've hooked them, they're fighting like mad, they're trying to survive, and guess what that big 300 pound fish does after it fights for a second? It just gives up. And you just reel them up to the top, they shoot them in the head, and they bring them in the boat. And that's what we're waiting. So right now we're at this point, we've hooked them. They're starting to see, their members are starting to say, this stuff is really ridiculous. I just want a relationship with Jesus. Can I have that? Can I believe on him and trust that he saved me? Bishop, can you please give me that? And you bishops and you stake presidents and you leaders up there who want your power and your money and your glory, you're fighting it. But we wait for the day when you just give up. We can pull you up above the, the water and shoot you in the head and uh, lay on the boat and, and let the church then thrive in the glory of Jesus and Jesus alone. Okay, so let's go to uh, Kent. And I didn't mean shoot you in the head literally. That was an illustration, O ye who fear things like that. Uh, that was not a Danite inference uh, for those of you who think I was speaking in tongues. Ken of Vineyard, Utah. Ken, you're on Heart of the Matter. Two rapid fire questions for you, Sean. Could you explain to me uh, what LDS people mean by restored gospel? If somebody were to come up to me and say, uh, what is the gospel? I would simply say to them that it is, uh, the Lord has come, the Lord has given his life, the Lord will come again. That for me is in a nutshell, the gospel, wouldn't you think? Yes. I, I, I think the, the gospel is the good news that Jesus came, uh, resurrected from the dead, and we are saved by faith on him by grace, uh, through grace by faith. So yes, I would agree with your definition. Now, you asked the question, the LDS are taught. Lord. What's that? What, what does restored mean in, in the face of what we just said? Yeah, what it means is, this is what the LDS mean by restored, uh, is that there was a falling away. They take a scripture out of Thessalonians, they misapply it, and they say there was a falling away. And this happened as soon as Jesus ascended and the apostles started sharing, there was a falling away. Essentially, they, they taught or used to teach the Catholic Church. They totally corrupted everything Jesus taught. The gates of hell prevailed against what Jesus presented in terms of his gospel. And there we entered into the dark ages. So they mixed truth with error. And then the church that Jesus established needed to be restored to the earth. When they say that, they mean a priesthood. That's what they mean. The power of the priesthood needed to be restored to the earth and all the truths that were lost by virtue of the Catholic popes and priests messing around with it are now restored through the prophet Joseph Smith. That's what they mean. And so they, they call it the, the restoration of the fullness of the gospel. You see, you see, Ken, you and I, Mormons, believe we don't have the fullness what we have is just the remnant of, of tattered doctrines that have been mixed up through Greek influence and all kinds of stuff and Catholic influence. And now we just kind of hang on barely to, to some truth. But they say Joseph restored the fullness, which includes uh, temple marriage and celestial marriage and polygamy and baptisms for the dead and a priesthood restored and all this stuff. That's what they mean by the restored gospel. Unbelievable. It seems to me that to simply put it in a few words, uh, really hits it out of the park. I mean, I don't understand why it has to become this tremendous story. Uh, 
Christ has come, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. I mean, what else Praise than God. that can we say is the gospel? Praise uh, God. Here's another question for you. Um, at what point did Jesus become God, the creator, in their eyes? It's, it's debated in terms of what has been said. On one side of the coin, they, some people, missionaries, uh, teachers of the Mormon Church, will say he was always God. But that doesn't coincide with the historical plan of salvation, which they've taught, which is God the Father and his wife or wives created and in, took intelligences that have always existed, created them into spirit children, Jesus being the brightest, Lucifer, Satan being right up there with him, the rest of us being in there too. That is the beginning of his uh, mortal state and then when he took on a body and he overcame this world and he ascended to the father that is when he became a god and we have quotes from the lds leaders that say jesus had to come and earn his he had to earn his mortality he had to earn his salvation and then he had to earn be, uh, his godhead but they're kind of changing that now and they're teaching something different they're a survival religion they don't care about truth they care about surviving well, um, they're in conflict with themselves because to be a creator, isn't that the, uh, one of the first qualities of being God? No, not to them. He was a creator in training. you got to understand, in the temple film, Jesus is sent down with uh, Peter, James, and John, and he's told, hey, organize this world. And so Mormons will say Jesus created the world under the direction of the Father, you see? And it was like he's like an apprentice to the God, God the Father, and he's learning to become a God. So the fact that he created things does not make him a God, according to the Mormons. Well, who else is creator then? I don't know. I, I always thought, I always, now I, I know it's God. I don't know what they say. They, they say that there's this, the whole thing with Mormonism is eternal progression. It's all about eternal progression of all things, matter especially. And so everything is matter, and everything has to progress to a greater and greater form, Jesus included. So he was the brightest of God's spirit creations. He then was, came down to the earth, and he then ascended and is the first in line to become the God of, of our spirit race. I guess that's the best way you can put it. But the fact People that... don't understand that at some point infinity passed, he uh, attained the power through progression to became the creator of this planet and humanity and all? His, his uh, God took intelligences, spirit intelligences, gathered them into the spirit person of Christ. Tremendous. Yeah. yeah I got a challenge for you, Sean. Yeah. Um, how do you discern uh, what to accentuate when you read scripture? What, what do you use to, to place emphasis on your belief? Well, I use the word... And I hope the context of the word will help me uh, couch the passages that I'm reading uh, in terms of how I emphasize them. So uh, that's how I do it. I, 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 my Bible doesn't have any commentary. My Bible is a Thompson chain that refers to itself constantly. And I use that back and forth to try to understand contextually what the word means. In the past, you've, uh, and you still do it, obviously, but you've challenged us to read the Gospel, to read the New Testament, read the Bible, uh, and, and I've taken that challenge in earnest. Good. I just want you to know that I've been watching you for a number of years, 
And uh, what I basically, and it's been a long time since I've been in school, and maybe my reading comprehension isn't what it used to be, Sean, but here's the way that I see it. When I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I sit down, and I actually uh, had a piece of paper on my right as I read, one of the things that I tried to do is draw a line down the middle, write column A and column B. And one of the things that I, I use to discern what God places an emphasis on is to say, okay, now let's take your camp, saved by grace through faith. Let's put that in column A. And then when I come to, uh, like, the Beatitudes or, or the soil of your soul, or what you did to the, for the least of these, or the Good Samaritan, and all those different good works, I put them in column B, Sean. What do you think about my method about uh, attaining a knowledge of God? and where he puts an emphasis on. I, I think your method is based on, on uh, quantity and not quality, uh, because you could show that if you take and you do column A and B, column B at the end of your study of the word might weigh at 5,000 pounds and column A might weigh 100 pounds, but it doesn't make column A any less important, and it doesn't mean column A isn't a precursor to everything that happens in column B. So I would be careful of that uh, uh, way of uh, understanding the word. I would be more uh, inclined to say, why does Jesus teach what he teaches in Matthew chapter 5? Was it truly expected of a human being to do what he says there in everything? And, and then you will be able to find out what the context was and then be able to understand uh, why uh, he says everything in column B. Well... Um, like I say, in my, in my simple way of reading, the, 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 especially the four Gospels, I know that I place emphasis there because they're the life and words of Jesus himself. Okay, That's the Ken, way that I actually discern but Ken, how he would have me no. believe. And obviously belief is one between the ears, but, but then there is the, the part where you actually take action. But right? Ken, Ken, here's the problem, okay? Uh, Jesus, who was his mission to when he came and who did he teach? Uh, the Jews. That's right. And unless you're a Jew and you're living under the law and you understand what he was doing and why he was doing it, and you try to get what that means relative to Paul's call to the Gentiles, you're going to have a real hard time just reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which I would say are an extension of the Old Testament. And some people get mad when I say that. I believe they are an extension of the Old Testament. And I believe the New Testament, the New Covenant, wasn't really in effect until Acts 2 or maybe Acts 10 even when the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius, a Gentile. So those teachings that you're reading of Jesus had a point. It was to take these Jews and to say, listen, you want to get to heaven by being obedient. You want to get to heaven by doing right. This is the kind of right you have to do. This is the level of righteousness you're going to have to, have to follow, okay? And he gives us Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And, and in the end of it, nobody is going to be able to follow that. Nobody. So then the result is what? Grace. See, and if you just go in and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which the LDS are prone to do, they love, they, they skip the Pauline epistles, they love reading Matthew, Mark, and it says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father is in heaven is perfect, they say, we've got to be perfect, and that is not what was meant there, you know, it's perfect through him, and that's missed if you just read the Gospels. Well, I, you know, I, I, I think I'll beg to differ with you, when I read the uh, Sermon on the Mount, I, I really do believe that that's, that's the ultimate 
way to be, you know. I, 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 but let me ask you something. Can you follow the Sermon on the Mount, Ken? I mean, if Jesus said it and you can't follow it, I mean, tell me, what the, can you follow it? Um, let's just read a couple the things. Question, how do you worship God, Sean? No, let's not talk about how I worship God yet. Let me just ask you something here, okay? You ready? Shoot. Okay, um, it has been said, uh, but I say, you know all those, don't you? It has been said, Jesus said, let your communications be yay, yay, nay, nay. Now, you just gave me five minutes of speaking more than yay, yay, and nay, nay. Okay, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, resist not evil. That if someone smites you on the right, you turn to him the other. Have you, and if someone sues you at the law, take away thy coat. Let him have your cloak too. And if someone compels you, go, go with him twain. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Listen, have, are you able to do that without fail, Ken? Well, not without fail. Nobody okay. can do that without fail. That's Only the point. Jesus can do it without fail. That right? was the point, and that's the point of this. You see, he's teaching Jews who thought that through the law they could be perfected, and Jesus is telling them, "Let me tell you something. You want perfection? Then this is what I say, God. It has been written. It has been said. This. This is what I say, and they can't do it. And so you say, Jesus, save me, a sinner." And this is what Paul brings out through his epistles. So your focus is a little bit short-sighted. I'm not saying that this isn't true. What Jesus taught is completely true, completely. This is God's righteousness that Jesus is teaching. He doesn't mess around, he's teaching truth. But we cannot meet those things without fail. And that like, like uh, Ephesians says, and like James 2.10 says, if you fail in one aspect of the law, Ken, it's not just the one you failed in. You have failed in keeping the whole thing. You're guilty of failure of the whole thing. You lie once, you're an adulterer, you're a murderer, you're all things, Ken. This is why the Paul brought to us what the understanding was of what Jesus was doing here and what he did for us. Does that help at all? Well, I think where I, I stand in my Christian walk right now, I would say that my level, uh, my level of faith and my, especially the way that the rubber meets the road for me and the way that I worship the Lord is to, is to be humble and to succumb and to, you know, just, just to worship in that sense. I agree. To lay my life down. I agree. I agree. I completely agree with you. We are in harmony with that, my brother. Okay, well, I appreciate that, Sean. Okay, God bless you. Keep re just try reading. Just try reading the book of Galatians or the book of Ephesians now, and see why that's in there. And remember, that's Peter accepted Paul's writings as scripture. He says that. So it's not like the apostles who traveled with Jesus see P see Paul come along and say, "Oh, he's he's teaching something different. We don't accept him." No, Peter says scripture. Paul's words are scripture. So read and see what Paul is saying relative to what Jesus says and see how it all fits together beautifully. Okay, well, I'm going to do that, and I'm, I'm going to keep trying to be obedient and, and worship my Lord and, and whatever obedience and humility I can muster, my friend. Good. Oh, there's nothing wrong with obedience and humility. Praise God. Thank you. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you later. Take okay. care. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to uh, Josh, uh, no, uh, Kevin in South Jordan. Sorry, Josh. Line one. Kevin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, I was wondering about Martin Harris. Apparently he 
uh, was one of the three witnesses, and then he uh, denied the, the truth of the Book of Mormon. And I was also wondering if, if your wife is concerned about your massive weight gain. Thank you. I've lost weight. I have lost weight, young man. Now, and let me tell you something. The more of me, the more happy my wife is, you see. So I win either way, either through handsome fit beauty or just opulent blubber. I mean, what do you want? Now, listen, uh, Martin Harris, uh, we're going to cover the three witnesses and we're going to uh, talk about uh, th them. And, and so uh, I'll answer that question about Martin Harris when we get to the witnesses. Okay, Josh and Layton, line three. Josh, you're on Heart of the Matter. All right. Hey, how you doing, John? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Hello? Uh, you're on the air. You got to turn off oh, your blender. You Put your margarita mix away. Hey, Sean. Yeah. Hey, you got to turn you got to turn off whatever noise that is. Yeah, it's I'm on my my uh, magic jack. Hey, I just want to say um maybe at a, we're talking about where uh, Joseph Smith just came, you know, he came up with this idea of where he can uh, manipulate people, he can do what he had to do, where he came up with the Book of Mormon. I kind of think this is where the light bulb turned on his head with uh, this next scheme that he had. Okay, Philippians 15, he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of the selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Yeah. And because of this, I rejoice. Yeah. Yeah, there's some merit. So, there's some merit to that, Josh. I'm going to let you go because of the ambient noise. There's some merit to what Josh wrote. Unfortunately, uh, Christ being preached in Mormonism is not the Christ of the Bible in the sense of his uh, epistemology. In, 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 ontologically, yes, they'll agree he was born in this place, and they'll say he's the son of God, and he died on a cross, and they'll go with all the historical facts. But epistemologically, they don't believe in the imputation of righteousness. They don't believe in justification by grace through faith. They believe that works, that salvation must be earned. And remember, they have a bunch of defin de definitions of salvation. And so uh, I'm not sure that, that uh, what Paul was saying there applies to Joseph Smith, Mormonism, and the way it uh, relates to Christianity. Really quickly from uh, Ontario, Canada, um, uh, a young man wrote and said that he works in a hospital. His name is Dan, and he says they have a chapel there, and that recently uh, missionaries are sitting in the back, and that the chaplain of that chapel says that they uh, have the right to preach to uh, being Christian. What should I do? And I just want you to know it's our own fault. You know, uh, when we get to the point where we want to appease people and we want to be politically correct and we want to play nice-nice with everybody and we don't teach the Bible in our churches anymore, then Mormon, Mormons coming in and preaching, it's just as good. Go to your chaplain, tell him he's off his rocker, Dan, and uh, stay in the Word of God. Teach it to those people who they're trying to pray upon. We love you. See you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Yeah.